0: Well, good morning once again, everybody. Um, Like Jen said, we woke up and our voices didn't today. And so you're going to be getting your sermon, or the message today, in my sexy Phoebe voice. This is the sexy Phoebe voice sermon edition. But uh, if you have a Bible, um, I just want to invite you to turn to the book of Daniel. We've been in Daniel the last three weeks. This is our fourth week uh, in the book of Daniel. And like I said at the beginning of the year... um, this is really the first year, as far as sermon prep and sermon series, that I have no plan whatsoever. Um, I, I, we, we developed a bunch of different plans, and I, and I kind of shared this a while ago, but each time we kind of put this sermon series plan together where we tried to cram these big God ideas into three to four weeks, the Lord just really responded very very adamantly with just, well, that's cute. And so we threw it away, and, and, and we were on vacation for two weeks at the beginning of the year, And I had nothing and uh, we were getting towards the end of it and I was talking to to Nate, We uh, vacationed with our friends and I was talking, I'm like, I have nothing. Like we fly home and it's Saturday and Sunday I have to talk about something and he goes, well, what have you been reading? I'm like, I've been really into Daniel and he was just like, why don't you just talk about that? I'm like, but I don't know how long it's going to go and he's like, that's fine. And so we are in week four of Daniel. I don't know how long it's going to take us. There's 12 chapters. Uh, we're going to co- we co- it took us three weeks to cover a chapter. We're going to cover one chapter today. So this is, is really just a, uh, it's like the Russian roulette of, of, of sermon series. And so, But if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Daniel. Um, Daniel chapter two is where we're going to be sitting. But can I ask you, as we get going this morning, I want to ask a question. Are you a confident person? If somebody were to describe you, would the word confidence be a word in which they used to describe you? Would that be one of your adjectives? Now, and maybe you say, well, I'm not, maybe I'm not the most confident person. Some of you say, may say, like, I am a confident person, but we're all confident in something, right? Like, like, we are, like you are confident in the chairs that you're sitting in that they would keep you up, that they would keep you on the north side of, of, the, of the of the seat. But we all find ourselves confident in something. And the thing that's interesting about confidence is confidence is something that is built over time, right? Like our confidence grows when the thing or person we are trying to place our confidence in shows up in the way that we expect them or that thing to show up, right? When that thing or person produces the desired outcome, our confidence in that grows. I was thinking uh, as I was, I was praying through this message, um, there was a time when I had no car. I was a pastor, uh, lived in Apple Valley. I pastored in Faribault. My car broke down as many of my cars do. I often buy cars with the stipulation, but the person either selling it to me or giving it to me saying this sentence often, feel free to drive it till it dies. I've always wanted to like, walk out of someplace confident and like you know what, I'm not going to drive this until it dies, but that's usually the stipulation that comes with my cars. Uh, my car died. I was dating this really gorgeous blonde at the time uh, who eventually became my wife, and her dad said, well, we have a really old Ford Explorer that we just used to bum around on the farm with. You can use it if you want. And so my brain got really excited because it's like, this is the biggest car That I've ever driven. Like I've been driving, like like uh, I drove a a Dodge Intrepid. Uh, I drove a Kia Sportage, uh, which was all right. It it, it was it was an okay car. The the worst part about it though it was teal. Like there's nothing bro about driving a teal Kia Sportage. Uh, Even something a little less bro is driving a Honda Metropolitan scooter that looks like a creamsicle in Northfield. But that's a whole different story. Um. And so I'm like, I get this Ford like, this is going to be great. It's going to be, it rained the day after I got it, and the rain caused the car not to start. If there was nothing outside of a perfect day, this Explorer wouldn't start. I walked away driving this car home from Brainerd to Apple Valley so confident that I, I have a reliable car, and then any weather outside of perfect, it just wouldn't start. We'd have to jump it. I would. I mean, and so my confidence... I started with a lot of confidence, ended with zero confidence, and I think we ended up giving that car away to the dump. I think we gave it away to the dump. Like we were just like could we get anything for it and like we'll give you a mint sold. You know what I mean? I mean and 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 I know it's a very simple example. I know it's a very simple example. It's kind of a very a, a foolish example, but um, as I think about the things that we're confident, in, I, I, my brain has to go back to God. And are we confident in God? Is our confidence strong in the person, the power, and the provision of God? Because when we open our Bibles to the book of Daniel, as we read stories, it's easy for us to pound through the book of Daniel chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and come to the end of it and kind of come to the conclusion, well, obviously, Daniel was confident in God because look how the story ended. But oftentimes, as I forget, I'm reading uh, bits and pieces of someone's everyday journey. Just like the everyday journey that you and I walk through, when we wake up today, man, there's a a ton of mystery that goes on with with our days. There's a ton of mystery awaiting us tomorrow, and and the reality is we are existing in the same life that Daniel existed in, but we are learning about a man who has step-by-step grown in confidence of God because of his experiences with God, and, um, and so, and so we. I get to the end of Daniel. I love this. Daniel chapter 12, verse 13. This is really the end of the story. This is kind of God's promise to Daniel. But God's promise to Daniel in, Jan, in Daniel chapter 12, starting in, in verse 13, it says this. It says, as for you, God's saying, as for you, Daniel, go your way until the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise again and receive the inheritance set aside for you. And what confidence a verse like that builds what confidence in God does a verse like that build but again this is at the end God is saying hey as you walk through the journey of this life as you go from moment to moment from day to day here's what I want you to do Daniel I want you to keep going I want you to continue to put one foot in front of the other. You can do this. Keep following after me. Keep listening to my voice. Trust me in all of your ways, and I will not fail you. And so we find Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2, going from a bad situation of being captured in Babylon to an impossible situation, and many may, maybe some of you are in this place today and, you're, and you are facing in your sphere and in your experience what seems like an impossible situation. But I want to remind you what the gospel of Luke chapter 1 verse 37 says, it says, "For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God." Man, as you step into that circumstance, as you step into that situation, the same God that stepped out of your past circumstance with you steps into your current situation with you because nothing will be impossible with God. So let me uh, ask a question before we dive into this. Are you as confident in God as you are in your greatest strength or ability? Are you as confident in God as you are in your greatest strength or ability? So, if you have a Bible again, Daniel, that was again, I, I give you guys like really good setups for you to, guide, if you guys have paper Bibles, to find Daniel. Um, but so that's that was the setup. Daniel chapter two. We're gonna start in verse twenty. And what we're going to do is we're going to start with Daniel's response and then we're going to memento our way backwards a little bit to the beginning of the chapter. And so we're going to start with Daniel's response, move backwards a bit, and then we're going to move forwards, okay? So we're going to start in the middle, we're going to go to the beginning, and then we're going to end at the end. We're gonna, and So it's very confusing. But we're going to get there. I'm excited. Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 20, says this. It says, he, being Daniel said praise the name of god forever and ever for all for he has all wisdom and power he controls the course of world events he removes kings and sets up other kings he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars he reveals deep and mysterious things, and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, O God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we ask of you, and you reveal to us what the King demanded. Let's back up just a little bit, because that's a. Those are some phenomenal verses of confidence. Right, like you can just feel the confidence out of Daniel's words. But let's back up a little bit. Uh, So, starting at the beginning of the book, we we see uh, King Jehoiakim, uh, uh, the king of Judah, be overtaken by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar gets a little rowdy and decides to show off and flex his strength a little bit, and captures the young men who existed in noble families as well as the royal families. And Nebuchadnezzar knows something that's very profound, that's very very profound, which is why uh, the next generation is such a huge passion to my wife and I. We were in youth ministry for a lot of years, but we want our kids' ministry and when those kids become students, we want our youth ministry to be a place where man, we are instilling into our young people not what they can be, but who Christ says they are now because what Nebuchadnezzar understood that is if I can change these kids' names, if I can change their stories, I can change their identity and I can change their trajectory. And so Daniel and some friends, they find themselves in a very precarious situation. They did everything right with their life. And they find themselves in captivity to Babylon. Um, the, as, as, as I was doing some studying, it actually said that that actually Daniel and, and who and uh, Azariah, uh, Mishael, and Hananiah they ultimately become through their obedience to the king. They become eunuchs. And if you don't know what a eunuch is, the Greek translation for eunuch for guys is "ow." I'll let you look that up later but the 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 route that daniel and his friends are moving in is is into a place that they never anticipated they were ever going to be because they did everything right. And I don't know about you, but man, I thought I had been doing so many things right, and yet I find myself in impossible, precarious, difficult situations, and I'm like, God, but I did everything the way that I was supposed to. I believed what I was supposed to. I read what I was supposed to. I said yes to the things I was supposed to say yes to. I said no to the things. Doesn't that cut me some slack? And again, like we said a few weeks ago, if you dive into the Bible, you encounter person after person who was in situations far are worse than Daniel's. They were in situations over their heads, and it seemed like it was the worst place for them to be. But it was the perfect place that God wanted for them, wanted them to be, because when we are in over our heads, there is no other place to look but up. And God wants to use our difficult situations to teach us and to teach others about himself. And so Daniel does everything right. And God begins to move on Daniel's behalf in King Nebuchadnezzar's service, as we talked about last week. Man, he was, he was moving up in stature. He was moving up in position. He found favor with the right people. God was moving in the midst of the difficulty. And now Daniel and his friends become the voice behind the voice. Daniel and his friends become the voice to the king. Man, think about it. I was just so amazed by this fact that even in their worst situation, because Daniel and his friends said yes to God, they, God put them in a place where they could begin to speak into the situations and circumstances of the king. And the king has no idea that the advice that they're getting is advice that is God-honoring. Because Nebuchadnezzar doesn't believe in Daniel's God. And so all of a sudden, we find them in difficult situations, but they're moving up. God's blessing them. So here's what's happening at the beginning of chapter two. King Nebuchadnezzar kind of has a recurring nightmare. He begins to have this dream over and over again. It's this reoccurring nightmare. And what you would do back in the day if you were royalty, you would summon to yourself, or if you were a common person, you would seek out to purchase the advice and the insight of magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers, to find the meaning of your vision, of your dream, of your nightmare. And what these guys would do, what they ended up doing was Nebuchadnezzar calls these guys forward and they say, all right, king, uh, kind of give him some props and they kind of speak into into who he is, bust his ego up a little bit. And and all of a sudden they say, all right, tell us your dream and we'll tell you the meaning. It's funny how in our circumstances, as we begin to look for answers to the questions that we have in life, it's always funny how uh, the people that maybe we seek, they need to, uh, these guys, they needed to seek, understand what the dream was in order to tell the king what he wanted to hear. I heard a joke that said, never trust a psychic when the first question they ask you is, what's your name? When the first question you ask a psychic, the first question they ask you is, what's your name? I mean, that's, 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 I think that's funny. But Nebuchadnezzar does something no other king has done in history he he commands his enchanters his magicians his astrologers his sorcerers he commands them not simply to tell him the meaning of the dream but he says tell me my dream tell me my dream and the king says and I love this the king says if you don't tell me my dream i'm going to kill you i'm going to kill your families and then I'm going to destroy your house. The Bible actually uses the phrase that I will tear you apart limb from limb. It's it's just, and so all of a sudden, so we're going to pick up in in, uh, Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 7. And this is they, the sorcerers, the magicians, the astrologers. They answered uh, a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall tell you what you can sh- uh, And I shall know that you can tell me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is no man on earth who can meet the king's demand for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The things that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh." Because of, the king, because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Daniel is in training to be this wise, a wise man in the king's service. And so now again, Daniel goes from like this difficult situation of being captured in Babylon to this impossible, it seems like an impossible situation, and he wasn't even in that meeting. He wasn't even in the meeting with the king, and now his life is being threatened. I mean, how bad could a meeting go? You know what I mean? Like, how bad could that business meeting go, where all of a sudden everyone's, the entire department is not simply going to be shut down, but exterminated? Daniel moves from difficulty to impossible, but how does Daniel respond? How does Daniel respond? Does he panic? No. No. Does he go on a social media rant? No, that's not what he does either. Does he complain? Does he gossip? No. Daniel does eight things. And I'm going to put the eight things up on the screen. Sorry, they're very small. Because I had to fit eight things onto a screen. But uh, I'll put these up on our Facebook page and our Instagram uh, page as well. But... um, But here are the eight things as we read through Daniel chapter 2. Here's the eight things that Daniel does. These are very important. When you and I are faced with difficult situations, when you and I are faced with situations that seem above our pay grade, above our experience, or above our confidence, we can learn a thing or eight from Daniel and what he does. The first thing Daniel does is Daniel does not panic. Someone is coming after him to kill him. That is the perfect time to panic. But Daniel doesn't panic. Sometimes the worst decisions that you and I can make are decisions made in moments of impulse. In moments of panic, we are in the habit of making very poor decisions. And so this decree comes out and these people are coming after Daniel. Daniel does not panic. Daniel, number two, asks why. When you're faced with difficult, sometimes impossible situations, it is so important to ask why so that you can learn the facts and the motivation. That you can learn the facts and the motivation about the person making the call, making the judgment call, coming after you uh, for your life. Daniel approaches high-ranking officials and he asks why. He wants to learn the king's motivation and the facts behind this. Number Three, Daniel asks for time to create a solution oftentimes um, I don't know maybe you've heard this, maybe you haven't, if you haven't, then I said it uh, but if if you've heard it before, then credit the person you heard uh say it but uh, but how many of you have ever heard the phrase um, "One person's panic doesn't equal my emergency so like we we Jen and I have dealt with a lot of situations i mean. As we've been on staff at a lot of churches and all of a sudden uh, there's been just these moments where these people come into us with panic. They like skipped out on something or they missed something and all of a sudden there was this thing due and it was just like panic mode 3,000. And all of a sudden there was just like this reality of like your emergency does not equal my panic. And so what Daniel does is he asks for time. Because the king wants to know not simply the interpretation of his dream, but he wants to know the dream. So Daniel asks for some time because that's not something you just pull out of the air. As you heard, uh, the King Nebuchadnezzar's sorcerers and magicians, they're like, nobody can pull this out except for the gods, and they don't dwell among men. That's foreshadowing. In literature, that's foreshadowing. We call that a teaser. But Daniel asks for time to create a, sol- a solution. Number four, should be number one but it's number four enlist prayer support from your friends Daniel approaches Hananiah Mishael and Azariah his three closest friends in this circumstance and he said here is the situation we're facing and I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna seek God and I'm gonna seek God for the answer to the king's problem but here's what I need you to do I need you to seek God for me I need you to lift up my concern To heaven. I need you to come alongside me, to lock arms with me. I need you to pray for me like you've never prayed before. Sometimes I think we get so caught up in this false idea that we were created to be independent beings that when we go through difficult situations in life, I think that there are answers and solutions and healing and progress and victory waiting on the other side of other people's prayers. And we don't enlist the prayer support from the people that are around us when that's the point and the purpose of this community. That's the whole point of the church is that we would come alongside one another and we would support each other. That's why community groups are so important. Because as this church gets bigger and as we believe that God is is beginning to do some very specific things in relationships, Jen and I, as we've been praying, we've been feeling that it feels like the spiritual climate of our neighborhood and community is changing. As we believe that God is beginning something spectacular, as we begin to see the church grow, as we begin to see this community grow, we need people to be connected to communities within the community. We need to know that there are people connected with other people. And so here's the deal. Those community groups are essential. They're essential to growth and sustainment and strength. Because in your most difficult time, I will say this. In your most difficult time, if you feel alone at this church, that is your fault. Because there is nothing that we would love more than to come alongside you. All you have to do is ask. And if someone says no, we'll kick him out. No, but we'll just, we'll, but, but Daniel enlists prayer from his friends. I mean, who can come to you and ask you to pray for them? Who can you go to and ask for prayer? Daniel, and here's the thing, don't tell, and I will say this, let me, let me say this. You don't have to tell everybody, but you should tell somebody. Daniel enlists the help of his three friends and he says, I need you to pray for me like you've never prayed for me before. I want you to pray for me like my life depends on it because, hint, 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 it does. So Daniel enlists prayer support from his friends. Then Daniel prays and expects God to do something. How often are we guilty? of praying without faith, praying without expectation, praying not believing that the God who created the universe, the God who orchestrates time, the God who, who begins the concept of time and when our concept of time ends, it continues, It it's unfathomable. It's, it's How many times do we pray, do we lift requests to God, not believing that God could do something, that God could move on our behalf? How often do we pray without faith? Well, I'm supposed to pray, I'm, I'm supposed to pray, so here it is, God, here's my prayer. I have this conversation often with Taylor where she asks me for something. And then I say, okay. And then she asks me again. And I said, I heard you. And she asks me a third time. And I say, babe, do you not believe me when I say yes? How many times do we approach prayer that way? We throw up words with no faith. We throw up words not believing that our God can move on our behalf. So Daniel prays and he expects God to give him supernatural help. And after he prays, he worships. And we talked about this last week. Oftentimes the reason we don't find victory in the physical is because we haven't achieved victory in the spiritual. And that's why kings and the Israelite people, oftentimes they would would send out not the warriors first, but the worshipers because they understood if God was going to give them a victory over anything, they had to put their perspective in the right place. Worship is simply this. Worship is your desperation pointed in the right direction. Worship is your desperation pointed in the right direction. And so Daniel begins to worship. He begins to worship Daniel. Uh, he, he begins to worship God for who he is. Daniel worships God for his, his character because his God has never failed him. He, he worships God for who he is. He worships God for what he does. So he worships God for his character. And then he worships God for his actions. And then he worships God for helping him when God hasn't helped him yet. What if our worship was like that? What if our worship was a response to God's character? What if our worship was a response to God's actions in our lives? Because think of where you might be without Jesus. And then worship God for the help he's giving you, even when it feels like he hasn't given it to you yet. Daniel worships God And at the end of all this, Daniel's able to tell the king his dream. And Daniel's able to tell the king the meaning of his dream. And so, number seven is Daniel uses what God shows him to save others. Daniel's on a purpose, not simply to save him, but he's, he's on, a, on a mission to save people who don't believe the same things that he believes. He's on a mission to save people who don't see God the way that he sees God. He, he's on a mission to see people who have no interest in believing what he believes, he wants their lives saved because he knows if they're breathing, God can do something significant in their life. He knows if they're breathing, there's an opportunity for God to intercede in a big way on their behalf. So Daniel simply doesn't use what he learns and what he uses, to to, uh, what God shows him to save himself, but his intention is to save others. And then number eight it's, it's also as he saves others, point them towards God. God moves on Daniel's behalf. Daniel tells the king his dream and what his dream means. And then in Daniel chapter 2, verses 46 through 49, it says this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshiped him. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. The king said to Daniel, truly, your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, the revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon as well as chief over all his wise men. Verse 49, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon while Daniel remained in the king's court. Your impossible situation could lead to things that would bewilder you, which is oftentimes why God doesn't show us the outcome as we're walking in. Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church, I heard him say this this week, before God trusts you with success, he tests you with stress. Let's just leave that up there for a while, please. Before God trusts you with success, he tests you with stress. See, the reality is when life dishes out some stuff to us, what your greatest confidence is in is what you will turn to first when life gets hard. When life dishes things out at you, what you turn to first reveals what your greatest confidence is in. For some people, it's sex. For others, it's porn. For some, it's food. For some, you you bury yourself into work thinking that if I accomplish more, then I'll mean more. Some of you turn to Amazon and you go shopping. But what you turn to first when life gets hard reveals where your greatest confidence is in. What if God's plan for your difficulty, for your challenge, for your test is to get you to create space for him to show up so that your confidence in him will grow? I'm so bad at this guys. I'm so bad at this. This is a very stupid example. I'm sorry about it. I don't mean to diminish it. But we spoke at, Jen said, we spoke at a thing for our daughter's school. My wife runs a women's clothing boutique that I, this is going to sound just like the worst plug ever. And I so am sorry for it. But my wife runs a women's clothing boutique. It used to be in our basement. Now it's actually in a store. So now we have a basement. And so when you have a basement, after not having a basement for a while, you ask yourself, what do we do with this room? What do we do with this basement? This new, this, 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 this room where we could do things. And so we began to think, man, what could we do? Do we turn it into an office again? Do we turn it into a church level? No, we don't want to do that. And we've been having a lot of conversations. We want to get rid of all technology on the main level so that our kids don't default and so we don't default. So then you actually have to like go to the basement to watch TV and go to the basement to watch TV. is actually more work than staying on the main level, just like reading a book or talking. And so we're just like trying to figure out ways then we can limit our lazy and increase our intentionality, okay? So that's what we're doing. So they're like, maybe we'll get a TV. We'll put the TV downstairs. We'll kind of make this room down here kind of our intentional, entertaining room. And we're like, perfect. So we got the TV, and we repainted some stuff, and we, we kind of did some designing. But what we don't have is a couch. So if you want to come over and watch a movie at our house in our basement, bring your own bean bag because we got nothing. We have lawn chairs. That's how classy we are. Your pastor's super classy with the lawn chairs in the basement. Be impressed. No, and so, so I'm a painter on the side, uh, uh, not really the side, painting, and we just call it the life of the hustle. And, um, and so we're like, man, we want this couch to kind of wrap, the, it kind of put ties the whole room together, much like a good rug, if you understand my movie reference, but... What? You know they're coming out with a new one? They're coming out with another one. I'm just saying, like, that's a mate... What's, what? Back on track. Thank you, Chelsea. <laughs> oh, man. That's why God gave me daughters, because I have four really amazing women who keep me on track in my life. My wife, Chelsea, and Taylor and Addison. Um, so... We want this couch, we wanna put this thing together. We just feel like our house is just kind of a gift that God gives us to bless other people with. We want people to feel at home in our home. We want this couch, to can tie the whole room together, but at the same time, we need to pay for school. And so I have all these plans to paint, to supplement some income and do some sort of stuff. Well, you know, as many people do, they, they, they overspend in 2018 and so January comes and no one spends in 2019, like nobody spends. And so all of a sudden three painting jobs just disappear. And so what I do is I freak out and I panic and I begin to just hustle and like text people like and I just I just go nuts. I go insane. I chase after anything that moves that might look like a painting job. I look like an insane person. So we go to this thing at this event at Taylor School and I'm like in a bad mood. I don't want to do this. We're supposed to speak. We didn't really, we were never informed that we were like the keynote speakers. We thought we were just sharing something, but we ended up being the speakers before the big fundraiser. And so it's like, oh man, I was in a bad mood and we're doing this thing. And then we saw people be generous beyond like any, like it was a world of generosity that we do not know. A guy literally just raised his hand and go, "I'll give ten thousand dollars. Who are you, and how can I get you out of my church?" Um, like it was just like this amazing sort of situation. I felt so bad because we were investing into young people's future. I was like, "I don't want to be here. I'd rather be in my sweatpants. I want to be free. I want to be at home, freaking out before church. How we're gonna pay for this couch and for tuition and for all these X, Y, and Z things?" And so at the end of the night, they do this very random auction for a thousand dollar Amazon gift card. So each time you raise your number you donate $25. We're kind of discussing Jen and I are like, well we'll just, ra- just- once it gets to like the big like round numbers then we'll do our thing. So 3000 there's a buzzer there was okay so the, you raise there's a buzzer that's going to go off at a random time and nobody knows what it is and the whole goal is like three when you raise your number you invest $25 each time you raise your number and basically you're racing this buzzer that nobody knows when it's going to go off. So people are having a good time. And as the thing goes out longer, someone's like, that buzzer's probably going to go off. So people just like flying up that number. because want So you could basically raise your number once, to, uh, donate $25, and walk away with 975 Last person, I'm, I'm a teller of stories. <laughs> this, is, this is how me and my wife tell stories. She tells stories like this and I have to start back here at the motivation, and then I gotta zoom towards the end. It's very weird. But then whoever, yes, what she said, whoever raises their number last, and then the buzzer goes off, they're the winner of the gift card. So my rule to myself, unbeknownst to my wife, is that I will simply just raise it at the big like round numbers, like 3,000, throw my number at $25. We did something good, we didn't win the Amazon card, nuts. Coming close to 6,000. I hear 5,975, I'm like, I'm next. Throw my number up because I want to be a round number type of person. The guy goes, da 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 points to the person next to me before he says a word. The buzzer goes off. I start celebrating her, and the guy goes, no, you, you won it. And then I look just dumbfounded. Jen, unbeknownst to any, she is not paying attention, does not know that we won this, so, again, it's a very stupid example, but here's what happened. I had nothing. I had no job set up. I had no nothing. And we were just really passionate about, like, we want all of this to work. And, and I just panicked. And we walked away. And in and, and the same night, guys, we bought our couch and we paid for our daughter's tuition in the same night. Sometimes the stress that we create in our lives is God's invitation to simply create space for him to show up. See, my confidence last night in God was not great. But then when we were able to do two things that we were passionate about doing in the same moment increased my confidence in God. I had nothing I came to that situation with nothing, no jobs, no prospects, no nothing. God showed up with what he does. God shows up with who he is. And when we will create space for him, he will show up in ways that will increase our confidence. There will be difficulties in this life, guys. Ones that you've experienced and ones you will yet experience. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says this. He goes, I'm, I, I've told you all these things so that, because in this world you, you will have trouble. He says, but take heart because I've overcome those troubles. I've overcome the world. I've overcome those difficulties. And when we walk out of circumstances with our confidence high in God because he has walked us out, we can walk into those next challenges with the same confidence with God that we walked out of the last one with if we will create space for him to increase our confidence. It's coming up in the story. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they're going to face a fiery furnace. And Daniel's going to face the lion's den. And it's amazing as we learn about how strong their confidence is in God, we watch them not fight any of those things, but we watch them step into them with confidence, knowing that God walked them out of what they came out of. He's walking in with them to what they're facing right now. We are going to learn just about the, the crazy confidence these guys have in God. So, I want, to, I want to end our time with two questions. First one is this How do you create space in your life so that your confidence in God can grow? How do you create space in your life so that your confidence in God can grow? And the second question is this Do you? Create space in your life so that your confidence in God can grow. I want to pray, and and I really, I really believe that uh, I feel very strongly that God's up to something with some people. You're facing difficult situations, you're facing things that feel impossible and you're doing everything that you can to solve this problem. And nothing you're doing seems to fix it. I believe that God in this moment is speaking to some people's experience and said if you would just stop doing something, I'm waiting to show up. I'm waiting to show up to bring you healing. I'm waiting to to show up to bring you reconciliation. I'm waiting to show up to bring you favor. I'm waiting to show up to bring you that advancement that you have been trying so hard to get. I'm waiting for you to create space because I want more than I want you to succeed. I want your confidence in me to grow because we will face more difficulties in this life, guys. And if our confidence is in the wrong thing, it'll lead us to the wrong destination. But when our confidence is in God and God alone, we can face anything, walk through anything, and exit anything because he walks with us. So Lord, thank you so much. God, for who you are. Thank you, God, that you are stronger on your worst day than we are on our best. God, thank you that you are all-powerful, that you are all-knowing, God, that you, like Daniel said, you put in order the days, our days. You have our days. You put, you put the universe in order. You, you, you are in control of, of everything. And so, God, in these moments... God, forgive us for thinking that we're the ones who are best in control of our lives, best in control of our circumstances. God, would you just remind us in this moment right now, all of us, that would you just remind us in some small, significant way how big you are? And Lord, would you help us? As a society that's accustomed to assigning worth with busyness, God, would you help us in moments to just create space for you to show up? Would you help us to create space for you to intervene and intercede on our behalf so that our confidence in you can grow? Because God, no matter how bad it gets and how bad the circumstance seems. Lord, when our, conf- when our confidence is in you, we can face anything. We can face anything. So Father, my prayer today is that throughout the course of today, that you would just speak to your people. Well, that you would remind us of how much you love us. And God, that we would respond to that love. God, we also pray for just supernatural ability for the Los Angeles Rams to overtake the Patriots today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.